Hello, I'm Shell of Lionheart's Fitness. If you don't know about us by now, please check out our website, lionheartsfitness.com. Free fitness for all youth, particularly obstacle course racing. Right now, here is your podcast, I Am Spartan Podcast, with our favorite host, Scott Knowles. Enjoy. I am Scott the Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I'm a Spartan OCR Podcast. Have you checked out the show's sponsor yet? Do me a huge favor and go and check out monkeygrip.com. They make these cool rope attachments that go around your pull-up bar, and they also go around dumbbells, too. So you can max out your pull-ups and then slip them off of the pull-up bar and put them on the dumbbells and do farmer's carries to max out your grip even further. They also make a monkey fist type attachment that goes around the pull-up bar and the dumbbells the same way. They also have some liquid chalk and who doesn't need a little extra liquid chalk in their life? But go and check them out at monkeygrip.com and follow them on monkeygrip on Instagram too. Thanks. On this episode, Eric Langdon talks to us all about doing the Killington Ultra and then two weeks later going and doing the New Jersey Ultra, which is a pretty awesome feat all in itself. But what is so cool about this is Killington Ultra was his first Ultra and he only started doing races in 2022. It's a really cool episode, especially if you're thinking about doing an Ultra at either of these venues. But before that, I want to thank everybody who nominated and voted for me on the OCR Buddy Awards. I placed runner-up next to uh, Obstacle Racing Media. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who's stuck with the podcast that always say hey to me at the races and just send me messages of encouragement and, you know, and just letting me know that they enjoy the podcast. It means a lot to me. Um, Part of that is what makes me want to keep doing this. I enjoy talking to the people, but it's also good to know that you're being heard and people are enjoying the content and I always love hearing from the listeners. But anyway, here's the episode with Eric Langdon. Eric Langdon, how are you doing today, brother? Yeah, I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? Pretty good. And before we started recording, you said that you work for the power company, but where you reside at? Is it New York? Is that right? Yeah, I live in New York, but uh, I work in Connecticut, so I'm kind of right on the right on the border. Um, so yeah, I, I manage the groups that do the substation operation of the maintenance. So basically we take the high voltage and turn it into turn it into the low voltage that gets distributed out to the customers. So right. So did you go to school to do this or is it um do a lot of on job training? Uh I, I guess kinda both. Uh, I actually I joined the Navy right out of high school when I was 17. So I did that and uh, I went in for nuclear power so I was a nuclear electronics technician on the, the power plant there uh it's about two years of training to do that and then from there I went on a, a submarine out of Pearl Harbor I got unlucky enough to be in Hawaii for about five years and nice. then uh yeah it was it was sweet when we were there anyway um so yeah, I was on the sub there for five years 
kind of doing power production as well as propulsion. And then uh, I, I actually went to Saratoga Springs in New York for a few years in the Navy and taught the new guys coming through how to run the plants. And, and then, yeah, after that, I kind of got into hydropower generation for like six years. Uh, this opportunity came up with the power company to do power distribution. So I've always been in the power industry, but I've kind of popped around into different aspects. So it's been good. And you're saying a bunch of years here and you, you don't look that old. How old are you? I'm 36. 36. Okay. I got a few years yeah. on you. Yeah. So did you not want to go, you didn't want to go career? Uh, no, you know, at that point I was at my 10 year point, the way the Navy works, it goes like a sea duty for about five years. And then you go for a shore tour for three to four years. So I was at the end of my shore tour up in Saratoga Springs. And at that point, um, my now wife and I were starting to get serious and starting to think about family, you know, these, you know, the future going forward. And I'm going, you know, five years at sea is going to, is not really a reasonable next step in my life at this point. So yeah, I went in and took the experience and got out and hey, I don't think I'd change it for, for anything. So I hear you. Yeah. That would have been tough on a marriage for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So have you, have you always been like athletic or what did you do when you got out of the military besides, you know, like doing your regular PT or whatever? Yeah. So, um, you know, being on the submarine, there's not, uh, not really a gym or anything there. Uh, you know, there's a treadmill in the engine room next to the main engine. It's about 115 degrees next to the treadmill. Jesus. Uh, maybe not that high, but about over 100 degrees, definitely. So, you know, it didn't really work out in the Navy at that time. When I got to shore duty, um, I got lucky enough because my rate as an electronics tech in the nuclear world is inherently nerdy, I would say. Uh, the, the group that I got put in was very physically active and they actually pulled me into the gym and, and I started lifting about six days a week um, when I was with them. And that was great. I was, you know, in great shape and then got out of the Navy, kind of get made my way into the new job and stuff, fell off, really didn't work out too much for a number of years. And then COVID hit, I put on about 40 pounds and oh, wow. uh, basically just sat in front of the computer and played games and, and uh, you know, ate everything I could see. And it was just not a great time, you know, like a lot of people I think went through in the COVID era there. But uh, ultimately, uh, I, I played some games with Neil Murphy and uh, he messaged me on Discord one day, said, hey, we got this Spartan race up in Vermont. You should come do the beast. And I said, all right, I'll come and see what it's all about. You know, I know I'm in uh, horrible physical shape, but, uh, you know, I'll use this to put the boot in my ass and and uh, get back where I need to be, make it a wake-up call kind of thing. So I signed up for the Beast, and then uh, about a week went by, and I did some more research into what the Vermont Beast was. <laughs> and uh, I said to Neil, you know, are you sure? Are you sure that a Beast is right for me? And he's going, oh, don't worry about it. You know, there's people out there just doing it in yoga pants. You'll be fine. <laughs> so it changed the sprint. <laughs> and I changed, thank God. Because, uh, yeah, it took me three hours 
to finish that sprint. That was my first race, uh, two hours and 58 minutes. And I think my average heart rate for that was like 178 for the three hours. So mm. I about died on that mountain. That's <laughs> a tough, it's, it's, it's tough no matter what distance you are and you do there and, you know, and that being your first race, I mean, that's just, you know, you're diving in head first, you know, whether the sprint or the beast, you know, if you would have done the beast, you might have finished that race and been like, or not finished that race and said, I'm not ever doing one of these races again. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? What oh, game, yeah. Yeah, what beast. games were y'all playing to uh, put on all this weight? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put, I don't know if Neil wants me sharing, but yeah, he probably doesn't care. We, we played uh, world of Warcraft like crazy, man. Oh man. And, uh, it's funny because that's where you kind of see the non-physical competitiveness out of people like him and I, because in that game, we were, you know, the top in the, one of the, one of the top in the world and certainly one of the top in the U S players and, and, oh, wow. and stuff. So we bring so, the same kind of mentality into Spartan. <laughs> my neighbor showed me world of Warcraft, like that first month that it came out and yep. I think I played probably the first on and off, probably the first eight years of it. I think I forget which expansion. I think the last expansion I played was the one where they, they, they added the Panda race. Mm -hmm. And I think I ran those up to like 85, you know, at the time, I think that was the cap. It was either 85 or 90 at that time, but yeah, yeah, actually I stopped around that time um back in the day yeah yeah and then they released the classic world of warcraft which is what we were playing going back through the old school right original games you I, know playing I, the uh the boomer wow yeah i played that <laughs> vanilla vanilla wow as some people would call it i played that for a little while too and and one thing that i'd forgotten was how bad the warriors sucked in the original expansion <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Because I was like, I want to play a warrior. Because I always enjoyed playing the warriors. But man, going back to the original makeup of the warrior, God, they suck so bad. You couldn't even kill, oh, yeah. in, you know, NPCs that were the same level as you. You know, it was it was awful. But you know, that to me, that was the best part. Was that get was that just the original game to me? And you know, I used to be really big in the video games. You know, and I like you when I was working factory life, you know, once I got off work, I didn't feel like exercising. And that's what I did. I played World of Warcraft and I put on a bunch of weight. It was sitting at the computer, drinking regular Coke and eating a shitload of pizza rolls, man. I was, that was me. And um, I remember sitting at the computer for like six hours, you know, and me and my neighbor playing, we had just a couple of characters. The only time we would play them is when we could play together. So, I mean, we were all the time doing something. I think I had a, a max level character in every single, uh, you know, whatever they could be a mage warrior druid or whatever. But, uh, yeah, to me, and, but once I quit playing that game, it was like, you know, regular console games and computer games, they, they didn't have any, they were not fun to me anymore. And it's to me, in my opinion, to me, World of Warcraft was the perfect game. And I don't, I don't see trying to find another game to compete with it. So 
I just lost kind of entrance in playing games. Like if I want some nostalgia, I might go back and play Contra or play some old Resident Evil game every once in a while or some Grand Theft Auto. But that's you know that's that's about it. But I I just I've there lost I've lost that addiction to play games. And I mean I even get on a old uh, it's actually like a hack World of Warcraft where you don't have to pay monthly fees. I forget what it's called, but I think Josh Chase uh, uh, shared it because there was a time where there was like five of us in our OCR discord that were playing it out of it. And it was like one of those things where if you wanted to, you can make donations to play this kind of free wow. And it was just like an open server that somebody had. And, and it was, it was just a little bit better than classic. Like you could have better stuff to quest with, but it was basically, you know, just classic. But anyway. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, it, it's like you say, it's like the perfect the game, you know, honestly, one of the big allures to that for me was like the social aspect, you know, you had these, you know, all your friends were there, you know, you hop on, you're hanging out with your friends. And I think that's part of what, you know, made it such an easy transition to move my uh, addiction, I think, from from that into kind of running and, and trail running and, and OCR. And uh, that's kind of where I'm at now, you know, instead of playing WoW every night, I'm I'm running or, running or lifting every day and getting ready for that stuff. So, yeah, the it's community, as you know, is is great. You know, that's, that's an aspect we share from the, the transfers over, I think, yeah absolutely like it is hard to have a full-time job exercise and try to play world of warcraft at the same time you can't do all three of those you just can't you you gotta pick as soon as i started getting fit that was it you know i I really like you said i I don't play games at all anymore except for maybe i'll if i'm bored and have a little bit of time maybe every once in a blue moon i'll kick it up and play something old old for the nostalgia you know yeah, I think I play I play Galaxy of Heroes on my phone and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, I'm such a dad. I play uh Fishdom, I think it's called. It's like uh it's um oh god, what was that game that everybody was playing on the phone back in the day where you match up the candy crushes? Yeah, it's like a fish version of Candy Crush. Yeah. It's the only thing I play really. <clears throat> but oh man. So if anybody hasn't listened to the episodes where I brought Neil Murphy on, we did kind of a pre and post uh, episode for the Vermont Ultra. He has been to Vermont for every year they've had the Ultra, and he hasn't completed it every year. And he talked you into going up there and and doing the sprint for your very first Spartan race ever. So was there anything you did to like prepare for this first race? Honestly, I did nothing, and uh, and Neil can confirm my story, because, you know, I had, I think, the natural human tendency of, I know that I'm in bad shape, I know that this is out of control, I know that where I'm at in my life, I need a change kind of thing, and uh, kind of trying to ignore it, you know, and pretending it's not there, even though you know it is, and I knew that this was going to be the catalyst that showed me just how bad it really was. Um, so I really, really did nothing. And actually, you know, they Neil ran the the ultra the day before the sprint, of course. And I'm in. I stayed in the hotel with him that night, 
and I must have had, I think I ate an entire pizza and had like three beers uh-huh. before. Uh, so it was a rough day on the mountain there, but um, no, that, that definitely, you know, that definitely woke me up that, holy cow, like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta start hitting the gym and get back out there. So that's kind of where we're at. You know? And you lost 40 pounds in 2022? Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of started it in September um, where where I started to lose weight over, you know, four, five, six month period. Dropped, yep, about, lost all 40 of the pounds. And uh, yeah, yeah, I can't look back. That was, uh, it, it was tough. You know, I started out, all I did was walk on the treadmill. I, I was afraid to run because I was, overweight and I didn't want to you know hurt my knees or you know all these fears that people that don't run have and uh so you know I just set the incline on the treadmill up to like nine and I walked at three three and a half miles an hour for an hour every day and uh and budgeted the calories and yeah lost the weight feel great now and uh yeah I think it shows I I started um I have a little thing here. You can't see it. It's on my other computer. I kind of track where I'm at. So I went back and I checked my times against the AG times for my beginning races where I was in open heat. And I would have been in the bottom 1% of the sprint in Vermont that year. And uh, yeah, my last race this year was New Jersey Ultra. And that was the top 17. So feeling really good. Feeling really good. Yeah. So you know, you, you ran some other races throughout the year. Your, your first and only beast race was West Virginia. And you decided, you know, you was going to pour it on a year to the date, the anniversary date of your first Spartan race. You said, I'm going to do my first ultra and I'm going to do it at Vermont. Yeah. You know, it's so listening to the podcast, and of course, I, uh, one of the things I did preparing was to find any podcast I could about Spartan Ultras and find anything I could online about Spartan Ultras and reading through, you know, Neil's very comprehensive uh, journal of, of ultra prep and things like that. And and I can't remember how many times I heard you in my head saying, don't do the Vermont Ultra <laughs> as your first ultra. And, uh, you know at the end of the day for me and everybody's journey is different. And I completely agree with you. Don't do the Vermont ultra for your first, um, you know, it was, it was brutal. I went into it thinking, God, I hope I can do this before the cutoff. I'm just going to try to survive. I'm going to do the best that I can. And, and I'm just kind of the person I have the mentality of, I would rather go out and give it my all and fail then go do the beast, which I'm almost certain that I would have, you know, completed at the time going into it. So I kind of made that, it was a week or two before the race, I upgraded to the ultra and yeah, yeah, that was, that was kind of the mentality, you know, where I'm like, ah, do I really want to run a race that I know I can finish or do I want to go for it and, and really see what happens? And that's what I did. And, and ultimately you know, for me, it was the right call. I was, uh, I ended up being, I think about nine minutes from the podium. So it was much better than I could have ever anticipated in that race. Well, see, you, 
you went about doing this race the right way because you knew it was hard and you didn't just say, oh, I'm going to sign up for the hardest one and just go throw on the wall and see what sticks. You read, uh, you know, Neil Murphy's training plan and you listened to podcasts to find all the information on it that you could. And you heard me saying not to do it first. So you knew you had it in your head that this is a highly failable ultra. I've got to take it serious. So what did you do in, you know, when did you decide, Hey, I need to start taking this race serious. And, you know, how did you prepare for it? Yeah. So kind of preparing, honestly, I really didn't change too much in my plan. So already I, I typically run in the 30 to 40 mile a week range and, and the area that I live in is very hilly. So that's kind of to my advantage, unlike my Southern friends down there in Florida and, and whatnot, you know, every run that I do almost has elevation on those 30 to 40 miles a week. So I think that helps me, you know, a lot um, just to naturally prepare. And then aside from that, you know, I think it was just really putting in the time to do speed work and do those other kind of workouts other than just your, your base runs. Um, and then really the hardest part of an ultra at once you're putting in the mileage and the time on feet to me is putting together a plan for when you're on the mountain. And, and then the way I looked at it going in, I knew if you shoot for a 15 minute mile average, because obviously you're not getting 15 minutes on the uphills. So I knew average 15 minute, I'll be good. And I knew I, that would give me wiggle room if I didn't meet that goal to still complete the race before the cutoffs. Um, so that was my goal was just get out there 15 minute miles. I think I finished a little over that 1520 or 1530 somewhere around there, but um but that was my plan. And then aside from that, just really attacking it with urgency and, and having that mentality on the mountain that every minute that you waste now is coming around. You know what I mean? You really, you got to attack every minute of that beast, that ultra beast rather with a sense of urgency, I would say, especially things like transition and water stations and penalty laps. I see a lot of people walking you know, the penalty laps, things like that. Yeah, yeah you just got to go after it and make sure you got a good plan for nutrition. I actually, Neil was a little um, unsure of my nutrition plan, but I, I ended up being happy and specifically the way that I was carrying it. I did uh, a belt instead of a pack just because I, I hate having a pack on. It's just Me a too. mental thing. I think, you know, so that's what I and I, I refilled my cantina every single water station. I made sure I drank an entire 16 ounce flask between every station, had electrolytes every other flask, the whole thing. Uh, I do element, and then uh, yeah, I just took down honey stingers every 30 minutes, a couple uncrustables and a Snickers bar, and that was it. <laughs> so but that yeah. You said your pace strategy was like 15 minute miles. Were 
what on your uphills, what were your, what was your plans? Was it like, I'm going to power hike every uphill and try to make up town time on the downhills? Or were you just kind of running when they were a lower grade and power hiking when it got really steep? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm learning now that I've been doing more ultra marathons and especially Vermont that, uh, once you hit a certain point, you can't go by heart rate, but I, all my races I've gone by heart rate. Um, so I found in Vermont on the second lap, I was pushing about as hard as my body could let me push at that point. And my heart rate was only 140, 145, where normally I'm trying for an ultra marathon to be between 150 and 160 generally. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I did with Vermont. I kept, 160 you know the whole time so uphills it'd be slower and then downhills and flats i'd be doing my normal kind of trail running pace to maintain that heart rate and then the second lap where i could no longer do that i really just did you know rpe rate of perceived exertion and just tried to judge it on can i maintain this you know am i going too hard or am i going too light kind of thing and i just kept checking in every five minutes every minute every whatever and kept pushing and it's kind of funny the first lap I went out and I remember chasing you for I don't know I had to be up until the death march that I was chasing you down and I'm going shit how am I keeping up with Scott <laughs> you know I think I was going in just trying to survive and I knew that I was ahead of Neil because at that point I hadn't failed any obstacles so I just kept looking over my back like thinking uh I kept having pictures like, you know, Terminator 3, the freaking robot girl, like, here comes Neil, where's he at? <laughs> you know, like, the freaking Terminator's coming for me. And then, uh, yeah, I think you mentioned in, in the one with you, when I finally saw him, I had to start giving him shit. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> better kick it up a notch. I was just so excited at that point. That was the ultra loop. You know, we're almost through the first, the first lap at that point. Uh, so I was starting to feel good. I was, you know, thinking, oh, I might be able to actually do this thing, you know. So when you came into transition, how did you feel? And like, what was your mindset where you're like, all right, I'm more than halfway done? Or was it more like, holy shit, I got to do that again? <laughs> yeah. You know, I would say it was kind of a combination of the two. And what I mean by that is right now I'm not very strong on the carries. And the last thing that you got to do is that half pipe carry. So I was coming right off of that and that was brutal. Oh my God, that was brutal this year. That bag felt heavier than any other bag I carried all year anywhere else. I don't know what the, what it was, uh, if I was fatigued or what, but man, that bag felt heavy. So, when I got to transition, I was kind of thinking of two things. I'm going, can I get through another lap physically? And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I've got at that point, I had nine and a half hours, I think, to get through lap two before the final cutoff. Um, so I'm going nine and a half hours. I got this. Definitely. I can do it. But honestly, what made me almost tap was that sandbag. I was just, and I, I was thinking about it the whole second lap man i don't want to do that sandbag you know right 
But uh, but I got there, and uh, Neil would hate it. Well, he saw me doing it. I know he hates it, but uh, you know I put that bag down probably six, seven times, and uh, that's actually I think I was in fourth place when I started, and then I finished in six, I believe sixth place um, by the end, and they all passed me on the on that half pipe. So I know that's something that I got to work with before oh, uh, before we get into this year. That's a bummer. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So last year I had that same feeling because last year I'd gotten sick. I was coming out of transition, or year before last. I was coming out of transition and I couldn't hold anything down. And so I kind of swapped over into survival mode where I wasn't running as fast as I could if I was able to keep some fuel down. But I was dreading all of the carries because the year before, all of the carries were awful. We we caught a major break on the bucket carry um, this year because uh, – Last year, that bucket carry was, it was awful. It was the worst bucket carry I've ever had. I've never set a bucket down in my entire life until Killington 2021. And it's like you had the bucket on your shoulder and like water was leaking out of it. It was like it was full of gravel rocks and then they topped it off with water, you know. And I want to say like the last two carries were within three miles from each other too it was they were they were brutal i love the bucket carry we we had there for 2022 it was great <laughs> 2023 sorry three yeah i had to be it's funny the contrast that had to be one of the easiest bucket carries of the year yeah you know? that was an easy one for sure being at killington yeah and that the carry on the ultra loop was tough but those bags were kind of light. If, oh yeah, that one that wasn't bad at all. Just the the elevation. You know? Yeah, and then they had that little mind trick they played on us, where they that tape was going all the way up the side of the mountain. And I remember you come yeah. out of the woods and you looked up at that and you were like, "Holy shit, does this carry go all the way up there?" You know, and then you got up on that one ridge and you could see where the tape was cut, and it was like. They did that just to mess with us or something. So when, uh, before we went up, I remember talking to people, uh, you know, the night and the day before when we did the bib pickup and, and talking to some of the staff and things like that. And then I remember some of them saying, oh, Joe, Joe Decino was up there and he said it's too easy and we got to make it harder and blah, blah. And I'm going, oh, God, what the hell? So then, of course, we came around and saw that tape. I mean, I almost tapped right there. <laughs> I looked at it and I said, there's no freaking way I'm going all the way up there and back with a sandbag. And uh, and I ended up, you know, it's not in my vocabulary to, to quit unless, unless I have to. So I picked it up and I said, you know what? It's going to suck, but let's go. And, uh, yeah, I saw that it. They, they had torn it and then it actually cut short and man, did that feel good? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it did. It really did. You know, it's when those cavies, when those, when those heavy carries are hard like that, I, it, a, a lot of times it's better just to just look at the ground and don't look at how much further you have to go. 
because yeah. you know if you look at the ground you know it's just one foot after the other it, that works great when you're on that half pipe too you know because they had that there in the previous year as well you just you started on the other side of the hill instead of the side we started on you know last year yeah but you know one of the things that killed me and i'm curious if uh, if you ran into this issue too but that wind kicking up the dust up on top of the mountain by the end of the second lap, I was having trouble breathing. I could, uh, the sandbag carry, my muscles actually felt good for the half bite carry, the second go round. And uh, I, I think I would have been fine, but I kept, I couldn't get in enough air. Mm -hmm. I, and then uh, actually the whole night at the hotel, I was coughing up brown the whole mm -hmm. night, like chronic cough is brutal. There was one time we had a strong gust and it was right when I came up the top of that. Mm, it was the climb right before you ran down the hill to Tyro. And I wonder if maybe you were in a bad or a worse spot than I was. And you got some dust in on that wind when it, when it blowed. Cause there was a time where the wind was just blowing really, really hard for like 10 minutes. And, yeah. uh, but no, I didn't have any. I never got a mouthful of dust from any of it, but you know, it was, yeah. I definitely got some strong winds for sure. You know, I kind of like that though. The the wind, it was like, we're never going to get better weather. I don't think ever that we got last year. I mean, you just, by the time you got to the top of the mountain, you were just starting to sweat and just starting to get a little hot. And then man, that wind came through and cooled you right off. And then down the mountain you went, it was, that was yeah. nice. Yeah, I wore a long sleeve thermal compression shirt and there was a lot of times where I was like, man, I shouldn't have wore this. I should have just wore short sleeves. But then there was times I was saying, man, I'm glad I wore this because right now I'm cold. I was kind of flip flopping on the fence the whole time, whether I wore the right gear for that. I almost kind of think that maybe I could have just wore a short sleeve shirt. I would have been a little bit colder at times, but you know, I'd rather be a little colder than a little hotter because I was trying to roll my sleeves up a lot of times, but it's not one of those real tight compression shirts. It's kind of like a loose one. So it was, it was comfortable, but like after the, you went through the dunk wall and you got real cold, I felt like it was, it was a good choice right then. And then when you went up those first couple of climbs, the wind was just blowing hard on you. And it was cold and you know you weren't really running you were just kind of power hiking you weren't really generating a lot of body heat but just some you're probably more used to the colder weather than i am living in new york too. That, that, that's true yeah yeah the cold i wore a short sleeve wouldn't have changed it for the world the uh as you know um facebook and the discord and stuff people kept posting those mountain forecasts saying oh my god it's going to be 20 degrees or whatever it was and it started making me nervous. So I actually, um, even though I was just wearing a belt, I have a really light running like raincoat. So I, you know, crinkled that up and stuffed it in my belt. And I, I carried that for the first lap, but I never wore it. So I threw it in my bucket uh, at transition. But yeah, that was the one thing I did bring that because I was worried about that mountain forecast. Yeah, that, that forecast was scary. And it, I don't think it ever got that bad. I want to say like there was times where it did feel like, you know, we were in the twenties, but you would either get in the woods out of the wind 
or you'd be coming back down and you'd be in the warmer climate at the bottom. And so it, it was, it was short lived every time you did start feeling cold, but you know, it's mountain weather. It's always hard to kind of figure out what's the right gear, you know, because one, I think in 2019, it rained the whole time and it was like in the thirties and the forties, the sun never came out. And I was wearing like a, a sleeveless shirt that whole day. And I don't remember ever getting really cold. And like some people were getting hypothermic that year because we had to do the swim too, but I felt, I felt fine that year. So I don't, I don't know. I, th I think it, it kind of depends on how windy it is. Cause I do remember getting in a cold wind when I got to the top of that mountain that year, but it, I guess it all depends on the individual and how good you are at tolerating cold weather. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you get cold, run faster. Right. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and that's one thing that I always tell people to kind of try too, if they run a lot of races, you know, you know, know what gear works in different climates. Like a lot of times me and my girlfriend will go, you know, running and she'll put on a long sleeve shirt and I'll, I'll go ahead and tell her, I was like, you're going to come out of that because you're going to get hot once we start running. You know, I know you're cold now and it, ha and it happens, you know, nine out of 10 times, but I always tell people if they run a lot of races, you know, and let's say you're doing a sprint and it's really cold, you know, go out there and try to do it without a shirt and just see how you feel. You know, when you finish, if you're freezing, when you finish, you know that maybe you needed a shirt, you know. Just yeah. and that way, you know, in the future, what kind of gear works for different temps. And it's also something you can practice when you're doing like your runs around the neighborhood as well, too. Yeah, it's definitely not a time to find out that your gear doesn't work when you're in the middle of a, a mountain beast. No, absolutely so. not. Absolutely not. <laughs> but, oh, you know, you can always come into transition and change and, you know, leave stuff there for sure. Oh, yeah. So you finished the Vermont Ultra in what was like a, um, 11 and a half hours or something like that? Close to that, wasn't it? 11, 26? Yeah, it was, uh, about it here. Yeah, you got it. 11, 26. So, so, I mean, dude, that's awesome time, especially for your first time there. So I'd say you're, you've got a knack for this. You're pretty good for it. Um, how did you feel when you finished that race? Oh, man. It was... Uh... It was brutal. I don't think I slept at all that night because I was in so much pain. And between having that cough from inhaling all that fine dust, I guess it had to be. Um, and I think it was a mix of that. And I'm just new to ultra running. And I don't think my lungs were quite prepared for, you know, 11 and a half hours of, of beating. So yeah. Oh man, I could, uh, I'll tell you, I could barely walk. I don't think I ran for five days after that, but I finally kind of did a recovery run and got back into it the next weekend a little bit. And then, uh, and then, yeah, it was basically just kind of recovery and, and maintaining taper. And then I ran right into the New Jersey ultra a week after that. <laughs> so, so when you finished Vermont, did you say, to yourself, I'm never doing this race again? Or were you in the state of mind to say, you know what, I think I'm going to sign up again to do it next year? Yeah. So when I finished, I'll tell you, I got off that multi-rig and uh, I did the fire jump 
And at that point, I was like, I just want to go back to the hotel. I just want to go back. I want to have some pizza. And I'm like, that's it, man. I'm done. Like, I, don't, I honestly, at that point, I didn't even care about the buckle. I'm just like, yeah, give me the buckle, whatever. <laughs> I went back to the hotel. I had some pizza. Tried to sleep, didn't sleep, and then uh, made the long drive back home. And uh, about a week went by. I, I have a um, a metal rack up behind my bed, and, and of course, I have the buckle up there. And that's when it really set in. You know, I'd be getting ready for bed, and I'd just still look at the buckle and be like, "Man, like I did that." Like, holy shit that was crazy <laughs> like and it really started to sink in and when i first came off the mountain i was like yeah i don't i don't know if i want to do that again maybe i'll do the beast next year i don't know about the ultra but yeah after about a week or two of looking at the buckle i i had already signed up again for for this year so waiting for good weather we'll see yeah absolutely but, uh, so with the new you know format I don't know what it's going to look like, but we'll so see. you did New Jersey two weeks after Vermont, right? Was it two weeks or one week? Yeah, two weeks. Yep. So I say you caught the ultra bug pretty bad to do that. You did the toughest East Coast ultras in less than a month. So, um, but to everybody out there listening, I just want to point this out. This was his first time doing the Vermont ultra. It took him 11 hours and 26 minutes. He did the New Jersey Ultra two weeks later on, I'm sure, a fatigued body and did it two hours faster. So it both of these are tough mountain courses, but that's a good, you know, that is a good reference right there to show you the difference in how tough these races are compared to each other. You know, I would say, you know, Killington, if whatever time you can do New Jersey in, I would say two to three hours more to do Vermont. Did I say that? Wait, New Jersey, whatever, whatever time it takes you to do New Jersey, it's probably going to take you two to three more hours to do Vermont. I would say that's, that's a fair assumption, right? Absolutely. And, and frankly, it might even be more than that because that New Jersey course, the first lap was great. It was no problem. The second lap of that New Jersey course was so freaking muddy. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was so treacherous for almost the whole entire second lap. It, it was the week leading up. I think it rained like every day, the week leading up. It didn't, it didn't rain the day of the race, thankfully, but the ground was just so saturated. There was actually one point. I want to say around mile 10 or 11. It must have been about quarter mile or an eighth of a mile stretch that I'm talking the mud was up to your calf. It felt like you're trudging through Florida. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Wow. So so I would say if the conditions were more favorable, I probably would have finished that in somewhere between eight and a half and nine. Um so, so yeah, I would say three hours is a fair, definitely a fair number to add on there. Yeah. That's why I always tell people, you know, if they're, if they're super serious about wanting to do the Vermont ultra, 
I always say try the New Jersey Ultra first. It's a great mountain course. It's very, you know, comparable to Vermont. The only difference is, is the climbs won't be as long. You still have some long climbs, but I don't think you will have a single climb that will be over a mile long. And there won't be a lot of them. Whereas at Killington, you will have several that will be over a mile long. And not to mention, it's way cheaper to go to New Jersey and do that ultra than it is to go to Vermont and do that one. As far as where you stay, where you fly into, it's just a cheaper, a cheaper ultra to do. So if, if you're really worried about finishing the Vermont ultra and you've never done a mountain ultra before, that's why I always say just do New Jersey first. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, this year people have the um, benefit that the New Jersey is in April, you know, so it, it is before the Vermont ultra this year, which I would have loved to do New Jersey before Vermont definitely last year, but just the format. You know, it wasn't an option. And I didn't want to wait another year for Vermont. So I rolled the dice. <laughs> right. But, but I would definitely recommend that. Are you going to do New Jersey in April too? Yeah, I'll be there. I'm going to go for the Ultra Fecta. Um, I don't think it'll be a problem. So like I said, after Vermont, I couldn't. Uh, it was tough to walk for, for a number of days. After New Jersey, I wasn't sore at all. Oh yeah. Surprisingly, I thought I was going to be hurting really bad, but uh, I don't know what it is. If it was just my body was like, you know, only two weeks after Vermont, like, yeah, oh, that was nothing <laughs> or, or what the deal was. But you know, are, it is a tough race. You, know? you already got all that mountain climbing and descending soreness out of your body by doing Vermont. So New Jersey was nothing yeah. on you know, as long as you didn't get like, you know, a nagging like injury pain. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure all that muscle soreness was, you know, out of your system by the time you did that. For sure. Um, yeah. The only thing bad about them putting that in April is I think for us, it's like two weeks away from Fayetteville Ultra here. So that's one that's drivable right. for me. We've, we're, we're kind of undecided on doing New Jersey Ultra we're kind of leaning more towards Fayetteville, which we've done both in the past. I want to say they might be a week apart this year and we've done that, but that's tough because yeah. it, you got two opposite different types of running races. You got one that's a mountain climbing race and one that's a flat speed, you know, race, you know, and it's, that's tough to do. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're if you're running competitively, you know. So, so you you probably did this at New Jersey, but if you could go back and do Vermont, you know, it's your first time going there. Would you do anything differently, or did everything that you did, you know, kind of go according to plan? Ah, uh, you know. It's kind of tough to say. Um, I think we fell into a little bit of a trap, Neil and I, because um, as he mentioned on, on the previous episode, he had a bit of an injury in the first lap. And we kind of decided at transition, we thought we were quite a ways off the podium. Um, so we were like, you know, all right, let's just have fun. You know, we'll, we'll attack it aggressively because you have to do that in Vermont. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, there's just no other option. You got cutoffs chasing you always. So, um, but, but really we had fun with it, you know, and we chatted, we had a good time. So I, I think if I was to do something different this coming year, and I think Neil's in the same boat, I think the takeaway is no matter what happens, I think we, I'm just going to have to game it like there's a possibility, you know, and, and give it my all. Not that I wasn't dead by the end anyway, you know, uh, that last climb at mile 12 was, uh, Ooh, that was tough. That was tough on the soul to, mm, to yeah, get through well, that last climb. I mean, that that was brutal. That thing was by far the hardest climb of the mountain with the ultra loop out of the question. So, it, in any case, yeah, I think that would be probably the one thing I do do differently. You know, I think my nutrition was right on point, and uh, I really liked going with the going with the uh, the belt instead of the pack i did that in new jersey as well and that really worked out i actually had an i have an identical belt that's already preloaded with honey stingers and stuff so all i did at transition was change shoes and socks and change belts and then i off i went um so yeah i don't i don't think i would change too much to be honest just uh just the takeaways of Practicing for the heavy carries, doing some more grip strength exercises for the for the hanging obstacles, and we'll see where that takes us. Uh, I don't have high hopes of podium anymore with the new format. Uh, we'll see. Crazier things have happened. You never know. You never know. That's it. That's it. So, um, we'll see, I'll be interested. You know, when when New Jersey comes along to see how that works out. So, Avermont, because you know, we went to the dunk wall within two miles after transition. Do you think it was worth the time to uh, change your socks and shoes? Yeah, so that was what I was considering, I got to say, for probably the last five miles before transition is, is it worth it to change them? And what happened that made me ultimately decide to do it was when we first went through that dunk wall, uh, I don't know what it was, maybe because we were the first ones, I guess. But I got a ton of sand in my shoes and uh -huh. socks from that thing. And ultimately, I said, you know what? I'm changing it. Even if I only get 25 minutes of reprieve, I don't want to get, you know, blisters or rashes or or whatever from this. Uh, and, and it was just so uncomfortable. So I changed them out. Help amazing up to the dunk wall and then i think enough people had gone through it that time when i went through the dunk wall the second time i didn't get any sand in my shoes so i was able to go you know the entire 13 miles without sand in my shoes so you know that ultimately i think i think it was the right call now on the flip side it was a gamble if i went through that dunk wall and they were full of sand again i'd be like oh come on man yeah should have just left them on saved the three four minutes you know but but uh yeah that was something you could ask yes uh, neil or jeff when you see him but i was so worried i i oh man i wish i had i'm not gonna take the time to find it but i ordered these things even on amazon because i was so afraid of wet feet uh, for whatever reason and this broke that fear but uh 
I even ordered these things from Amazon. They were like booties that you could put on and cinch at the top. I'm like, <laughs> well, I'll just put those on and I'll throw them away at the next station or something. And, and I'll keep my feet dry. And Neil's like, dude, don't do that. Like, just do it. Just get them wet. Just, just accept it. I'm like, yeah. all right, fine. <laughs> so I know I, that's what I did, but I was so afraid of it. I love wearing the toe socks just because when you do get those rocks in your shoes with toe socks, you can kind of move that rock around to a better spot while you're running. It's hard, but you can do it sometimes and it works. That's uh, you know what? That's something I think I would have changed and I will change. Uh, I changed it up for New Jersey. I wore ankle socks at Killington. And I think that was part of why I got so much sand inside of my socks and stuff. And it just sits right on your ankles right there. Mm. So I started wearing calf highs in New Jersey and that, that worked out really well for the, for the dunk wall portion. So. Well, Hey man, I'm, I'm almost out of questions, but you know, I always ask everybody the same questions every time they come on. So, you know, to this day, what's been your most favorite race and why? I, yeah. Uh, I would say my most favorite race is actually I want to pick an OCR, but I honestly, I think it was uh, probably back in April last year. It was um, a local marathon, road running marathon. It was my first marathon. And actually the night before, um, well, the day before I went to this park with my kids and they were setting up the start line and stuff. And, and, uh, and I was looking at it and getting FOMO a little bit, you know, and then I signed up that night and I went for my first marathon ever, kind of like, uh, you know, my first ultra. Uh, and I went and it's absolutely beautiful. It's uh Millbrook marathon in Millbrook, New York. Uh, it goes through beautiful, like horse country and just beautiful views. It's a very hilly marathon. I think there's like 2000 feet of elevation oh, wow. change. Well, uh, uh you know, 4,000 change, but 2,000 up. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's beautiful. So the reason I say that's my favorite race is because when I hit like mile 20 in that, I've never had a feeling like this before or after where I looked at my watch, I saw I'm 20 miles in, I kind of assessed my body and I went, man, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Like this is <laughs> in the bag. I'm making it the next six miles if I got to crawl. My big worry, they had a six-hour cutoff for that uh, marathon, and I wasn't sure I could do that. I did it in like four and a half. Um, but, uh, yeah, that feeling alone, that, that made it my favorite for sure. See, that's that's something I've never done. I've never done a road marathon just because running on the road for a long time just tends to beat me up. Did Did you have a lot of soreness after finishing that? Yeah. Yeah. I was sore for a few days. I think a lot of, a lot of it was because, you know, at that point I hadn't accumulated the training and the fatigue and, and all of the things that I have now. Um, at that point, I really had only been running since probably December. So about four four and a half months. Um, you know, I started walking back in September, but I started running around December. But one of the nice things with that marathon as well is a lot of it is actually on dirt roads. So it's uh -huh. a little bit less. Um, yeah, it's really, 
I'd recommend anybody in the Northeast, you know, look it up, Millbrook Marathon. It, it's it's beautiful and it's different than any other marathon out there, you know. So nice. Okay, so now I want the reverse of that question. What's been your least favorite race and why? Okay. Um yeah, least favorite is I gotta say my first ultra marathon, which was a trail marathon or a trail ultra. Um it was the Red Wing 60K, which is also it's a local 60K up near me. They do it in the Grangeville. New York at the Red Wing Park, and it's a 15K looped race. So that was like, I, I was thinking, you know, this is a good intro. I can have a transition that I can hit three times, see if I am ready to maybe do an Ultra Spartan in September. Um, and so I did that one. It's got about, I want to say 1,500 elevation per lap so about six thousand elevation total um and that was brutal i mean i want to say by the 45 50 kilometer point every single step was just pain in my hips i mean forcing myself to run was brutal the last lap was actually well you're down south so you didn't probably deal with it but we had like record-breaking torrential thunderstorm mm. rain fall accumulation and that started right as I left transition for my final lap. So oh, I did God. the last 15K in torrential thunderstorms. But when I got in and I saw the storms coming, I said, I got to get out of here before the race director pulls me off the course. And so I just took off. I, I left before I wanted to. But, but that, you know, it's my least favorite, but also gave me a huge feeling of accomplishment. You know what I mean? As the first, the first ultra for sure but i think my least favorite spartan has got to be it's got to be the poconos this year oh <laughs> that course was so hard i mean it was hot i ran it in shorts and no shirt and it was so hot and at the end they had that barbed wire that was like a war zone it was mm. all dug out and it was so long and it was uphill and the sun's beating down on your back the whole way up. And man, by the time I got through that, I was just like, man, screw this. It's just done. I want to go home. And it was, oof. it was a beautiful course. Would definitely recommend it, especially for people that are considering doing a mountain beast, maybe, you know, at Vermont or New Jersey, go do the Poconos first as a 10K. If you can do the 10K there, you can do the Beast anywhere, I would say. But yeah, that that was that was tough. Between that and Ape Hanger, that was a tough course. I agree. It doesn't matter how many years. I think I've done Palmerton every year since 2018. I think 2018 was the first year I went there. And it doesn't matter how many times you do it. You, you, you underestimate that first climb every year, and it always punches you in the face every year. And I always say, okay, I'm not going to go off too hard, but you'll always find yourself out of breath every time when you get to the top of that hill. But Absolutely. you're it's an awesome course oh, and it, it's and it does have great scenery and it's it's a it's a fun course you get to do a lot 
in a 10K. There's technical terrain, steep climbs, really tough carries, and you have the ape hanger there. And there's a lot to see from the festival area typically too. But uh, yeah, it, it's definitely, it's probably one of the toughest supers I've ever done for sure. That's brutal. And honestly, you really can't, you can't go out easy because, you know, that one of the things I ran into there, I didn't go out easy, but I started getting winded going up that field, you know, before you get into the woods. And then, uh, so I slowed down a little bit. And then what happens is if you do that, you're just stuck. You're single file for so long. And mm -hmm. it's like, all I could think about is all the people that were in front of this traffic jam, just building distance, you know? And uh, yeah, yeah, it kind of forces you to go out hard. Yeah, because I, because I had to take, that was my first race back after rolling my ankle in May. So when I was, I was able to push on the inclines, but I was really nervous about doing the, the downhills where it got technical, especially on the super. And so I kind of slowed down there and I got in a line of people and like, it's, you couldn't get around them. So yeah, I, I totally feel you there for sure. Okay, man. So what is like, you've been doing Spartan races all year. What has been working for you is like, you know, your race weekend prep, like what do you do typically on Friday night to get ready for the race? And what are you doing Saturday morning before the race? Um, yeah. So typically, uh, you know, I've heard mixed things about carb loading and that kind of thing. So I just, uh, I say, you know what, you can't have too many carbs. So I usually have pasta like the Thursday and the Friday for the race. Um, I'll try to get a good night's sleep. You know, sometimes it's a little tough. You're thinking about race. You're thinking about getting there, parking, getting registered, you know, all these things. And when I try to get a good night's sleep, of course, um, get up uh, morning of, kind of check that I got everything that I need. Um, you know, typically going in, I've been trying different nutrition strategies morning of, I think I've kind of settled on, um, basically doing like a cliff bar I'll have kind of right when I get up or while I'm driving there. And then when I get there or, or maybe right after registration, I'll eat like an uncrustable and, and maybe a banana, you know, and then, uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the lead up. And then during the race, it's uh, one of the things I learned this year for the ultra, especially is that uh, I can't survive on gels alone for that amount of time. I feel like after, I don't know, five or six hours at that point, um, if I'm only on gels, I'll take a gel down and I'll be like turbo for, 10 minutes and then I just crash and I just absolutely feel terrible for up until I take the next one. So I found, you know, mid race and ultras, it's important to get some solid food. So I started doing, uh, I'll have one uncrustable during the first lap and then I'll have one at transition. And then usually, or, or what I did for these two ultras is I threw a Snickers bar in my pocket for the second lap and just kind of waited until I was feeling a little bit down on myself. You know, mm. I gave myself a little Snickers treat. Um, so that just kind of threw in some solid to the action, you know, 
Um, but aside from that, yeah, I do a honey stinger every 30 minutes, uh, whether it's a gel or a chew or a waffle and, uh, kind of switch it up. Cause again, I, I just get tired of the same thing over and over. So and yeah, that's what I do. And then I have, uh, element every other water bottle. So about every mile I'm taking down an element. So yeah, that's, what's been working for me. Awesome. Um, man is there anything you want to add to this you know i mean i've asked a lot of questions but is there anything you feel like we may have left out well you know i think i think we hit everything um i would just say you know for for people just getting into it <clears throat> that maybe don't have the sense of community or, or have the knowledge of where to go for this information and things like that you know, really look at look look for things out there. You got the OCR Discord is awesome place. You know, ton of ton of really helpful vets that have been doing this for a decade plus. Um, you know, look even in your community for like a local road running club. I'm in my local road running club, and and I've met a ton of people that do obstacle racing, and or or people that do triathlon or do ultras or hundred milers you know, it's amazing you just got to really get out there and talk to people you know it's anybody like me if you just go at it alone you know eventually you're going to get bored and just kind of fizzle out you know yeah start playing world of warcraft again right <laughs> yeah i think that's behind me now but uh <gasps> hey you never know <laughs> what advice would you give to somebody um, who is planning on doing Vermont ultra for the first time? I would say if you're planning on doing Vermont ultra, you know, first of all, and most importantly, you got to get time on feet. It doesn't necessarily have to be miles. I mentioned earlier, I do 30, 40 miles a week, but you know, I'm really doing what that comes out to is probably six to seven hours a week of uh of running which which seemed to be all you know work for me some people throw in you know at the peak of their training they'll throw in more time on feet than that i don't ever plan on doing that i don't have the time to do it with my life and, and kids and, and what i got going on but um yeah i would say that that's most important you know get time on feet go out in unfavorable conditions and figure out what gear is going to work for you on a cold day or, or what's going to work for you on a hot day or what's going to work for you if it's raining, you know, all of these different things. Try out different nutritions. That was one thing I did this year during training, you know, I'd go on basically anytime I went on a run more than an hour and a half, I would take that as an opportunity to kind of try out a different nutrition. Um, and, and, you know, that's really when you want to do it. You don't want to, I would never want to be in the middle of a race and, and have stomach issues. You know, I can only, I I've heard some of your stories and I, I mean, I would never want to be in that position where you, you really got to keep going, but man, it's, it's gotta be tough. So yeah, you know, yeah, that, that's, that's what I would say. And uh, yeah, if you're going for a mountain ultra, get out to New Jersey in April. That's uh, that's where you're going to learn. Get to New Jersey. If you can't get there, then get out to Palmerton. Absolutely. 
or you can always try to do like one of the flatter uh, venues like Fayetteville or Newberry. Newberry was a really fun ultra this year. It was flat, but man, they, the, the fall was in full effect. The leaves were covering every aspect of the trail that was technical. You couldn't, and we were in the dark for like the first hour of the race. It was, <laughs> it was tough. It was a very tough race. I was so happy on that second lap after, you know, thousands of people had gone through it and you could actually see a trail and where to go. And you didn't have to worry about, you know, tripping, putting your foot in a hole, tripping on briars. It was, it was tough. <laughs> yeah. It, it, uh, it sounded like it was a lot of fun though. You know, I was looking at that and, and I'm torn right now, you know, do I want to do that this year or do I want to give world's toughest motor a try? I don't, I don't know which way I'm going to go right now, but uh, they're the same weekend, I think. So. I think they changed the date. I want to say Newberry's like a week after or two weeks after now. I want to say they changed the dates of them because they were originally on the same weekend. But uh, I'm telling you, this will probably be one of the years their world's toughest will be favored for good weather. I'm not going to say it will, but being that south in Florida, there's there's a good chance. But, I mean, there's been races down that way i've had 30 degree weather too at that time of the year so hopefully it'll be good man we had 90 degree weather in central florida in december so yeah that's uh that's brutal that's that's brutal yeah it it was that's gotta be tough to run in but I mean, that was just like standing around the venue. Like when we started the race that morning, it was probably like mid to high sixties, but before lunchtime, we were in the eighties for sure. Well, Hey Eric, man, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us, man. And uh, good luck with your, your races this year, man. And I hope to see you at one. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And, you know, same to you. Good luck. And I am sure we'll see each other. If not uh, sooner, we'll definitely see each other in Vermont. I'm sure. Oh, absolutely, man. I don't plan on missing that one unless I just get some crazy injury, but hopefully not. If not, maybe I'll just come up there and watch everybody else suffer. There you go. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Eric again for taking time to talk to us. Um, A lot of good ultra information in there. I love talking to people about ultras and hearing their experiences. And it sounded like Eric had a great experience. And like, like he said, two weeks later, he went and did the New Jersey ultra and he said he wasn't even sore after that. That's amazing. And there's a lot of good information here. If you're thinking about doing your ultras at either of these venues, or even if you're doing an ultra at Fayetteville, I I strongly suggest you go back and listen to the episodes that me and Neil Murphy did pre and post race for Killington Ultra. There's just a lot of great information in there. If you're planning on doing your first ultra, not necessarily Vermont. Um, My first race of the year is going to be in Jacksonville. Um, Probably just going to be doing the super. Um, If you see me there, come up to me and say what's up. I'm surely to do a couple episodes before then. Uh, Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Hey, we'll see you next race. Peace.